The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. One of the president's most senior economic advisors is Brian Dees, who heads the National Economic Council at the White House. I recently had a chance to sit down with Brian to talk about interest rates, inflation, and the general state of the economy in the United States and around the world. So let me ask you the first and most important question. Are we going to go into a recession anytime in the foreseeable future? <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And I, you know, I thought we were going to start on uh, a rosy note, but I should have uh, expected nothing less. Uh, I'll join this side. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me and thank you uh, uh, for uh, putting this together. Um, we are no doubt in uncertain times, uh, but I think that if you look at the U.S. economy, my perspective, the most striking feature of the U.S. economy right now is resilience, the resilience of households and consumer balance sheets, the resilience of business and business investment, uh, and globally, the resilience of the U.S. economy in, in an uncertain global environment. So. Um, we're certainly in a complicated and in many ways unprecedented transition, uh, but I think that there's every reason to have a lot of confidence in the U.S. Uh, position in the context of a globally uncertain environment. I'll take that as maybe, you don't know. <laughs> well, let me ask you an easier question. Yeah, please. All right. <laughs> I'll take you, any out you want to give you me. You think England is, and you think the U.K. is in a, in a recession? Well, <laughs> uh, I think the situation in Europe and the UK is very, very difficult right now. They face a very difficult situation. Uh, and they are, um, as I was saying, in terms of the US position, they're significantly more exposed uh, to the energy price volatility. Um, and they don't have some of the incumbent uh, uh, strengths that we have here uh, economically. So I think it is, it is and is going to be a, a, a tough period. Uh, for the UK and for the European Union. Normally, in the United States, when you cut taxes, uh, it's designed to stimulate the economy. And that's what happened in Britain. They announced cutting taxes to stimulate the economy, but it's had a, seems to be, uh, unfortunate impact on the British economy. The stock market's gone down and people are, are very upset about it. Are you surprised about that? Uh, I wasn't surprised with the market reaction. Uh, you know, I think that uh, if we, uh, you have to, any economic policy has to be in the context of the, the situation that we are in. And in a monetary tightening cycle like this, uh, the challenge with, you know, that, that, that policy aperture is it just puts the, uh, it puts the monetary uh, authority in a position of potentially having to move even uh, tighter. I think that that's what you saw in the reaction. And also, you know, I would say it is important, particularly important, to maintain a focus on fiscal prudence, fiscal discipline. It's certainly something that we have been focused on here. And, uh, you know, the markets take notice. So let's talk about another easy subject, inflation. Inflation is as high as it's been since I was in government. I managed to get a higher rate than you've gotten so far. But um, I wanted to know, uh, in your view, is inflation now coming down a bit as a result of the Fed's hiking, and do you expect the Fed to continue to hike uh, in the November and December FOMC meetings? 
Well, the good news is the second part of your question is the easy one, uh, as you know, uh, because part of uh, respecting the independence of the Fed is leaving to them. Just ask if you expect. <laughs> Look, the market expects that, and, and, okay. and right. okay. I don't have any wisdom beyond that. I think, uh, but, but if you look at most of the data points over the course of the last couple of months, we've certainly seen headline inflation on a month-over-month basis uh, slow dramatically. Basically, it's been flat for the last couple of months. That's a function of the fact that we've seen energy prices uh, come down, gas prices, uh, uh, and that's offset price increases elsewhere. But I think if you look broadly across the economy, you are seeing a number of places where uh, you're seeing this shift and this transition happen uh, in, uh, in real time. Commodity prices have, uh, have come off. You've seen that in a number of, the, of durable goods segments. And at the same time, as you know, the, this, this process operates with some lags. And so that's why even as you look over the course of the last couple of months, you've got to really, even at a moment of heightened uncertainty that we are in right now, have to do whatever we can to lift up from individual monthly data points. Now, when I went to college many years ago, the standard textbook said that inflation was on average 3 or 4% a year. That was relatively normal. For the last 25 years, we've had 2% inflation, and so we've gotten used to 2% inflation. My children have never seen higher inflation. But the Fed now says they want to get inflation back to 2%, which is what it was, but why, why not 3 or 4%? Is Why does 2% have to be a goal, and how hard is it going to be to get down to 2% without putting unemployment up to 6% or higher? You know, a big part of uh, inflation is expectations, uh, and the risk uh, with uh, inflation is not only the immediate impact uh, on, uh, you know, uh, purchasing power, but also the risk that expectations get unmoored, get unanchored, uh, and then it gets much more difficult to uh, bring inflation down. So when you ask that question about bringing down uh, to a level, I think one of the most important questions is, is the, is, the, is the shape of policy focused on making sure that we don't lose control of those expectations? That's obviously something that the Fed uh, keeps a close eye on. Uh, and so, you know, to your, your question of, of the, the process, look, I, I am fundamentally optimistic about the American economy, and I'm optimistic that we can navigate through this transition in a way where we come out of this as a country and as an economy in a stronger position uh, than when the pandemic hit. So, uh, so yeah, at, at core, I do believe that that's, that's, there's, there's no, no certainty in any way or no no way inevitable that we are, you know, uh, we're going into a downturn. For people who live in Washington, politicians, is it more difficult when unemployment is going up or when inflation is going up? Inflation affects everybody. Unemployment doesn't affect everybody. So how do you weigh the, the political trade-off between unemployment going up and inflation going up? Which is more difficult for politicians or for, let's say, the administration? There's no question that uh, inflation affects everybody and it affects the, uh, it, it affects the psyche. And I think that when it, 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 it affects a sense, uh, I think, also of people's sentiment and a sense in which things are you know, um, uh, in or out of, uh, out of control. And, and we see that in, in consumer sentiment data. Uh, at the same time, we also, as uh, you, you asked the question about on the political side, as economic policymakers need to recognize that the way that economists think about inflation and the way that Americans think about inflation uh, often differs, that we have this idea of headline inflation versus core, and economists say you really should pay less attention to headline because it has food and gas. You ask typical, typical people what inflation is, it's food and gas. And so, you know, understanding the 
you know, the interplay between the economics and the politics of inflation is, is something that we, we haven't been. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. So let me go back to the NEC. The NEC was started under uh, President Clinton and Bob Rubin was the first person to hold that job. Can you explain to people what it actually does and what the NEC does day to day? When, for example, who's in the NEC, who's on the NEC? What is your job actually to do? So um, the National Economic Council, are, uh, the, the job, the mandate, the mission of the organization is to coordinate economic policy across the executive branch and across the cabinet to make sure that uh, the president is getting the benefit of, uh, of when making decisions of his entire economic cabinet, and also that the cab economic cabinet is getting clear direction from the president as well, so that, that two ways. So it's a coordination function uh, on the NEC itself are all of the, uh, the relevant cabinet members, the sort of core economic team, uh, OMB, Council of Economic Advisors, Treasury, but also Secretary of, uh, of Labor, Secretary of Commerce. My team, the NEC team, is a small team within the White House that is, our job is to do that coordination across the range of economic policy okay. issues. Now you were the deputy uh, in the Obama administration at the NEC, now you're the director. Uh, which NEC worked better, the Obama administration one or the Biden one? Well, on the issues that I worked on in the Obama administration, it worked very, very well. <laughs> and the current uh, NEC works very well as well. So it's that okay. subset of the ones I didn't I work on. Okay, let's talk about your own background for a moment. You, I mentioned before you grew up in Boston area. Um, and what did your family do? Were they in business, academics, politics, important things like private equity? Did they do that? <laughs> Uh, my father's an educator, he teaches, uh, and uh, my mother is a, uh, a civil engineer uh, by training and uh, worked as an environmental engineer. Okay, so uh, you went to Middlebury, and what did you study there? I studied uh, political science and economics uh, internet with an international focus. Okay, and after you graduated, what did you do then? I came here to D.C. on a fellowship to the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Uh, and I was doing uh, uh, international economics, international economic development. I had spent a, the better part of a year in Argentina in 1999, right before the collapse uh, there, became fascinated with trade and development issues. And so spent, uh, I came here to DC and-, and The Argentinian to, economy collapsed while you were there? No, right after uh, I left. Right after I left, okay, right after I left. Okay, you got out. Correlation and causation. Okay. All right, so then you came back to Washington to do what? So, uh, so I, I, I stayed uh, here. I, uh, um, I worked, uh, I sort of shifted from, from international policy, economic policy, domestic policy. Uh, then I went to law school, left DC, and I came back here. So you went to law school to be a lawyer or not? Uh, I went to law school to, uh, to no, not to be a lawyer, uh, but because, because I was fascinated as I was working on the econo more economic uh, elements, it became clear that most of policy is actually understanding law. Um, in different ways, uh, and so uh, I went. I, I went to. I went with the idea that I would continue to work in policy, but okay. then so you didn't want to practice law ever. Wasn't my objective. Okay, so how did you get involved with uh, the Obama administration? Did you volunteer in the campaign, or how did you get involved in the campaign or the administration? 
So uh, I, uh, I, I started working at, uh, on the 2007-2008 campaign. I actually worked for, uh, I, I had, a, I had the, the most important experience. Uh, I campaigned against camp candidate Obama for about nine months working for uh, Senator Clinton, Secretary Clinton. Uh, and then uh, after they lost, I was fortunate enough to then join the Obama campaign uh, in campaign uh, for And what did uh, then Senator uh, Obama say about that? <laughs> the good news was I was junior enough in the campaign he, that he Senator Obama attention. was, I don't think, particularly aware of, that, of my transition okay. to his okay. campaign at the time. So he got elected, and then you got this position as uh, uh, special assistant to president for economic policy. And what was the biggest thing that you accomplished during the Obama administration in your view? Uh, my first project uh, upon coming into government was to work as part of the team that did the restructuring of General Motors and Chrysler, as well as the finance companies um, uh, as well. And so that was basically from, you will all, many of you will recall, uh, November, December of 2008, uh, right through to uh, the summer of 2009. Uh, that, was, that was my over, overriding okay. focus. So after the Obama administration, you joined the dark side of money management and you worked for BlackRock, but in charge of global sustainability. So what does that really mean? What were you doing at BlackRock? So uh, two things. One was trying to uh, actually do uh, financial research to understand what are drivers of long-term economic performance uh, that, are, uh, that are financially relevant, uh, but that may not be on the mind of traditional investors. Uh, to you know, give you a concrete example, one of the most uh, you know, persistent uh, measures of financial performance uncorrelated uh, is the, uh, the rate of change at which a company brings down its carbon emissions. Not just the level of carbon emissions, but the rate of change of doing so. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of research around that to, to find that that's, that is in part because it is an un uncorrelated uh, measure of operational performance. Better management teams actually better manage against uh, that. And so that becomes the kind of thing that you can invest, invest against, but it also expands the universe of what investors are thinking about. So when uh, President Biden was starting to run for president, you knew him when he was vice president. You were in the Obama administration. Did you support him? Were you working in the campaign for um, or then Vice President Biden, or did you work for somebody else? So I was, uh, 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 for, for, for most of that time, I was... Uh, I was busy. I had a job. I had okay. a, a, a family. I would uh, anytime that anytime anyone called, I would offer. Right, the but so, when did you actually get involved with the Biden people? Was it after you won the election that they asked you to help with the transition? So, I did some work in volunteering during to help on the developing some elements of the the platform during 2020 um, uh, that came together in sort of his 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 general election economic uh, policy. White House staff jobs are notoriously long hour and you have two little children. So um, how do you manage your time and how come you have no gray hair as a result of uh, working these long hours in two administrations? <laughs> if, you, if the camera gets close enough, you'll see some. It's a constant challenge uh, and it's, it's, I don't have, I don't have uh, particular uh, wisdom or insight into how to answer it other than you know, needing to be extremely efficient with the time that you have, hire great staff and build a great team. Uh, there's, uh, I've got an extraordinary uh, NEC uh, team and core team inside the White House without which I, I wouldn't be able to uh, do this. And also, but it also takes a, um, an understanding family because no matter how uh, good you are at 
prioritization, time management, and productivity with your own time, there is always, uh, there is always something that happens and always something that comes up. Well, your children are young. Um, so do you go to PTA meetings and people give you economic advice at the PTA meetings? Do they kind of say, uh, I have an idea for you on fighting inflation? Does that ever happen? People are extraordinarily generous with their advice. Really? <laughs> the countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com. Let's suppose uh, you know, somebody wants to write a book about you and say, here's what what would you say that you feel you've accomplished or what would you like to have as your legacy? I'm just, I'm, I'm reflecting on your question and how boring a book it would be. Uh, I, I guess I would say two things. One is, I think that we are in a position where we could actually demonstrate that for the United States, doing dedicated public investment over the long term in areas of high productivity, research, semiconductors, infrastructure, clean energy, uh, manufacturing, Showing that we can actually do that in a way that changes the trajectory of the economy uh, is something that uh, I would love to be uh, part of demonstrating and part of associating. The second thing for me is I think that one thing that I have tried to do and that I think we have tried to do is to say that we're going to have an economic policy where accelerating the clean energy transition is at the core of our economic policy. It's not that we have an economic strategy and then we think about climate change and clean energy policy. It's actually at the core. I think we are doing that, effectively doing that, and that's certainly something that I hope sustains across time. What is your career advice about how best to prepare for this kind of job? I would say a couple of things. One is um, I can't encourage strongly enough people, anybody who has any inkling toward public service to run toward it and, uh, and engage in it. It's incredibly important at this point in our country right now to, uh, for more people uh, to serve. I think the second is, particularly if, if you're interested in getting into policy, is you know, probably elements of that, 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 that are also true in the private sector too, which is, you know, be humble, uh, be willing to work a lot, uh, and be willing to uh, both not have any expectation uh, or sense of entitlement, but also uh, have a lot of aspiration and willing to step to the table. So recently we had the, an act passed called the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, who came up with that name, really? It's a great name. Um, I guess so, but, uh, but do you really think it's going to reduce inflation? It seemed like it was spending a lot of money, and how is inflation going to be reduced by that? See, it's because it's the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, uh, so, uh, joking aside, I actually think that it's, uh, it's, uh, it is an appropriate name, and uh, it, goes to the, it goes to the structure of, of uh, to, if, I, if I could say it in a, in a wonky way, the role of fiscal policy in a period of, uh, of monetary tightening. What you want to do is you want to, pro, uh, you want to take measures that will lower costs for individuals and do it in a way that lowers the federal deficit. Because if you're lowering the federal deficit at the same time that you're lowering costs for individuals, then you're actually operating in the same direction. Now that's complicated to do from a policy perspective, but that is exactly what the Inflation Reduction Act uh, accomplished. But does it really lower federal debt and federal, and, and federal deficit? Because I thought it was just lowering it below where it would otherwise have been, but it's not actually producing a net reduced reduction in, in federal debt, is it? It's so reducing it below where the policy 
people said it would have otherwise been, right? So the appropriate way to judge any piece of legislation is, is it going to reduce or increase the deficit compared to the baseline at the time? And the, 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 the Inflation Reduction Act will reduce the deficit compared to the baseline by you know, about $260 billion, depending uh, in the first decade, probably more than a trillion dollars in the second decade. And importantly, it does it in ways like, you know, probably the, the simplest way to understand is the provision that allows Medicare to, for the first time, negotiate for better prices for prescription drugs. That will mean that Medicare is spending less money on drugs. That will lower federal spending but it will also lower the cost of drugs to Medicare recipients and also to recipients in the private market since Medicare is such a large purchaser. Okay. Okay. Um, in the Inflation Reduction Act, a lot of the tax increases that the President had previously proposed in the Build Back Better Act did not get in there. Are those tax increases off the table for the remainder of the Biden term, or you're not precluded from? <laughs> uh, those are those. Uh, those are policies the president think, thought made sense, uh, was, uh, would have supported if they were in the legislation, and continues okay. to support uh, going forward. And I will say, even for all the things that weren't in there, one of the reasons, to go back to your previous question, why that bill uh, reduces the deficit uh, and actually helps in uh, reducing inflation across time is that what is in there, for example, is a new 15% minimum tax uh, book minimum tax uh, um, for the largest corporations, those with over a billion dollars in earnings. I think that that's the kind of reasonable common sense tax reform that makes sense. It does mean that some people will pay uh, more uh, in taxes, but certainly that kind of base broadening reform, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of important sensibility to it. On the day that the Inflation Reduction Act was signed, uh, record high inflation numbers came out. So did you ever consider maybe adjusting the schedule of the signing ceremony? or? Was it something you, you said that, who told the president the numbers were going to be that high that morning and, and uh, maybe you should change the signing ceremony? I think that that number and others go to how people are experiencing uh, inflation today because one of the principal reasons why that headline number was basically flat was because in the month prior, gas prices had come down uh, by uh, a very significant amount. Uh, and that is really important for typical Americans uh, uh, monthly balance sheets, but it also is important because it's it's one of the most visible uh, price signals uh, in our economy. Now you're two in, years into almost two years into this administration, um, and you expect to stay for another two years. I think, in other words, it's a long um, two years, so you're not worn out, and you could see doing this for another two years at least, if not more. I've got no plans to leave, and I've got my head down, and okay. certainly fully, fully absorbed in the right. work we're doing. So in the next two years, let's suppose you control Congress. What is you, what you'd like to do most in economic policy in the next two years? What would be your highest goal, other than getting inflation down and unemployment, keeping it at a reasonable level? Is there another type of CHIPS Act or some other major piece of legislation that you want to get through? Look, I think there's... Um, there's a number of priorities that, uh, that uh, I would love to see us make more progress on. Um, I'll answer your question, but as an aside, the, f the first and most important thing that, that we're gripped by and focused on now is effectively implementing this historic set of legislation that we have accomplished. The implementation of this, to your point about chips and otherwise, the effective implementation across the board is gonna make a difference, a big difference in terms of uh, the, the broader economic impact. But look, I think we need to make more progress on tax reform. We made some steps here, but it's, uh, 
showing that we can, as a country, effectively fund our priorities and also build fairness into the tax code is important. It's important for trust. It's important for strengthening our democratic institutions. We need to make more progress on underscoring that issues that often get referenced as care or the care economy are not social issues. They're core economic issues. They're core to our labor force. Uh, they're core to our productivity as a country. Uh, and there's other issues that are now you know, coming to floor, like housing and housing costs. The fact that we have persistent undersupply of affordable housing in this country is a policy choice decades in the making. We could do something about that, and now is a really important time to do that, given the, 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 the period in the monetary policy cycle. There's a number of places where we can make progress, places where there is a lot of actual bipartisan support. So um, I, and I, would, I, could, I could go through a much longer list if okay. you have time. And what's the greatest pleasure of your job and what's the worst part of your job, other than interviewing like this? But uh, what's the greatest pleasure and what's the greatest um, less pleasurable part? So, you know, having gone in and out, out, out and being in a couple administrations, by far the greatest pleasure is the people. You spend so much time with them, but also the quality of people uh, that can come. You know, a White House, is, it's a, in, in a sense, it's a terrible place to work. It's very hard and all the like. But it's also a place where, you know, uh, the... Um, the the you know the reservation price or the wage that you would pay is negative because you know everybody wants to come and and and, and have an opportunity so you can attract great people diverse pe people with diverse backgrounds and extraordinary things to bear so you make um, friendships uh, and and bonds with people and so that's uh, at core uh, the best what's uh, the know, worst part the best part I think the most challenging part is that your time is never your own. That something can something you you have to be prepared that something always can happen and usually something does happen. Thanks for listening. To hear more of my interviews, you can subscribe and download my podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.